Well, today, as I said, we're going to talk about Jesus and his relationship with children. And it's a part of our ongoing summer series when we're talking about Jesus' encounters with different individuals or groups. And this happens to be a group of kids. So as we get started, here's my question for you today. Did you know that a little child helped Jesus answer and settle a very big argument? He did. And so we're going to see how it's characterized by Sally Lloyd-Jones in her book, the Jesus Storybook Bible. And here's how she characterized this time together. Jesus' friends were arguing. Who was the most important helper in God's kingdom? They wanted to know. I am, James said. No, you're not, Peter said. I am. Nonsense, Matthew said. I'm the cleverest. No, you're not. Yes, I am. Yes, no, am too. Intelligent adult conversation. This silliness went on and on like that for some time. You see, Jesus' friends had started thinking that they had to do something to make themselves special to Jesus. That if they were the cleverest or the nicest or something, Jesus would like them the best. But they had forgotten something. Something God had been teaching his people all through the years. That no matter how clever you are, or how good you are, or how rich you are, or how nice you are, or how important you are, none of it makes any difference. Because God's love is a gift, and as anyone will tell you, the whole thing about a gift is that it's free. All you have to do is reach out your hand and take it, like that little girl. So, that's kind of the summary of that encounter by, by Sally, who offers, I think, one of the richest theological resources we have around today. <laughs> I'm serious about that. She gets it. She gets the scope of it. She gets the heart of Jesus and the openness that anyone can come in her brokenness and find grace and love in Christ. So, today's Sermon of sentence is this. The more we become like children before God, the more we will experience his goodness and love. Let's pray together. We hunger for you, Father. We hunger for that closeness. We hunger for the intimacy that you offer to us as we come to you. And so we trust this moment that you will open our hearts by your Holy Spirit, that you would teach us these truths that you have spoken so many years ago but are still just as true today so that we can grow in our experience of you and revel in the grace that you give us through Jesus Christ. I pray that you would set aside my sin, that it would not hinder what you want to say to your people, and bless this time. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. So I want to fill you in a little bit on the actual situation that Sally was talking about. 
Um, the, biblical, the biblical account is in Mark chapter 9, and I'll get to the passage that's listed in your bulletin in just a moment for those of you who take care of things like that. Um, <clears throat> But I wanted to mention this incident first because it sets the kind of tone of attitude and culture about how the first century Israelites considered and interacted with children. So, Jesus had pulled his disciples aside to a private place. And for the second time, he told his disciples about his coming death. And here's the account in Mark. The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after three days he will rise. But they did not understand what he meant and were afraid to ask him about it. They came to Capernaum. When he was in the house, he asked them, What were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet, because on the way... They had argued about who was the greatest. Now, how callous can a group of guys get? Here's somebody that says, I'm going to die. And what do they go to? Who's the greatest? Have you ever been in a meeting where people sat around and argued about which one of you is the greatest? I haven't. I can't say that I have. Although, you know, I do often think that when I'm in public places or doing things, I can say, well, I could do a better job than so-and-so. That was really a dud speech, or I can grill a better steak, or just, you know, all those kind of things. That meeting was a complete waste of time. Yeah, I think all those things. And sadly, I also have to admit that I sometimes get behind closed doors and talk about other people that didn't do things as well as I thought I could. I'm ashamed to say that. But on the other hand, I've never been in a meeting where a group of people were talking about who's the greatest among them. So I don't know what was going on with those guys, but they were missing the whole thing. And so Jesus did this. Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, Anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. Now, The disciples, I think, must have thought that Jesus didn't know what they were talking about while they were walking on the road. (laughs) They didn't know Jesus very well, did they? (laughs) Uh, And so they had been so discreet. But can you imagine how they must have felt when Jesus called them out? That the greatest is the least. So into that awkward environment, he introduces a child, and we read on. He took a little child whom he placed among them, taking this child in his arms, he said to them, and now this is taken from Matthew, uh, another passage about the same, same incident. Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes The lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whomever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. You see, children in first century Israel were loved, but they were powerless. 
Many died before the age of 12. Uh, Biblical scholar Craig Keener says this, Eager to get on with the business of setting up the kingdom, the disciples have little time for people who do not wield political power. Although the Jewish people, unlike Greeks, respected humility, no one expected the kingdom to come by becoming powerless like little children. So that's the context that we'll see in just a minute. But before we get to the passage in your, in your bulletin, I know you're anxious to get there. I want to talk about one more thing that this passage brought up, and that's the kingdom of heaven. Country singer Craig Campbell recorded observations of a few young folks as they talked about what they thought heaven would be like. Let's listen. The sky's going to be pink, and the birds are going to be blue. I think it's going to be fun and where you can let loose. Magical? And lots of gold? And like cloud houses? And it's just really beautiful place, like the most beautiful place on earth. Clouds, a lot of people, angels, very, very squishy. That's my favorite line. Very squishy. That's, I guess, how you walk on a cloud. You squish through it. Anyway, (laughs) so don't you love children and their imaginations? It's just a delight to hear how these young people think about what heaven might be like. The question I have for you right now is what do you think heaven is like? That's something we as Americans don't talk much about. We talk about what's here and now and what the, our goals are and our inter, interrelationships are and all those kind of things, but we seldom step back and think, okay, what's heaven really like? And so I want to explore that for a few minutes because I think it's relevant to what is happening here with Jesus and the disciples and the children. So <clears throat> as we get ready to enter into this, I want to encourage you to do something that children do very well automatically. Imagine things. And so let me set the bar for your imagination. What no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. Now, as we get ready to read this passage, I mentioned imagination. You know, Ignatius of Loyola, who started the Jesuits back in 1500, wrote a series of spiritual exercises, and a big component of those spiritual exercises is imagination. He asks you to place yourself in that situation, to take on, I would be this character, or make yourself even an imaginary character, and how would you do that? So, I want you to imagine Things that you hear and let your heart kind of run with it. So here again is from Revelation chapter 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, 
God's dwelling is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Let's take a short period to just think about one of those things that caught your attention and let it roll around in your heart and your mind. But the passage goes on. What was characterized here was about relationships and seeing the past hurts just glide away from you. The next part is a physical description of what this new Jerusalem looks like. And here we read again. The wall was made of jasper, the city of pure gold as pure as glass. The foundations of the city walls were decorated with every kind of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth ruby, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth turquoise, the eleventh jacinth, and the twelve amethyst. Sorry about that. <clears throat> the twelve gates were twelve pearls, each gate made of a single pearl. The great street of the city was of gold, as pure as transparent glass. You see, if you have received the invitation that Jesus offers you because he died on the cross to take care of everything that would separate you from God, your sin, your brokenness, if you've received that invitation, this will be your new home. This will be it. Glory to God. So let me ask you now, what caught your attention here? What caught your imagination in this last thing? For me, it was the pearls. Okay, I'm having a hard time thinking of a pearl as big as it needs to be for a gate to go into a city where people go in and out. And I don't know what kind of transportation you might have. Maybe we float around. I don't know. But it's hard for me to imagine that kind of a pearl and what kind of animal makes that thing. So there you go. That was what, that's what caught my attention. So now let's get back to the passage that was listed in your scripture. And let me focus a little bit on the timeline. What we just read about in Mark chapter 9 happened a few days or maybe a few weeks before the passage in chapter 10. And um, Jesus took this opportunity to deal with the disciples on the topic that he had already addressed earlier. Don't you love it that the disciples had to have more than one option or opportunity to learn something? Because I know it takes maybe more than two and maybe more than ten for me to pick up something. So let's hear now about the welcome that Jesus offers. People were bringing little children to Jesus, 
for him to place his hands on them. But the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them, and blessed them. You see, wherever Jesus went, crowds gathered. They weren't unruly. But they wanted to get near Jesus. They wanted to see him. They wanted to hear from him. And many of them wanted to actually touch him because they believed something miraculous could happen to them if they did that. And so it may have been something like the Blues Parade a weekend or so ago where people were pressing in nine and ten deep because they wanted to get near one of the, uh, one of the hockey players. But that was all the time for Jesus. It wasn't just, you know, one day. And so it's, it's easy to understand why the disciples felt like they needed to do a little crowd control. In fact, one passage in the gospel says this, so many people were coming and going that the disciples did not even have a chance to eat. When his family, that is Jesus, heard about this, they went to take charge of him. For they said, he is out of his mind. (laughs) You see, that's why the disciples, I think, needed... They felt this need to do some crowd control for Jesus. It was, it, it was quite a crazy scene. But when Jesus noticed how he was protecting him and keeping the little children away, he got indignant. You know, that's the only scripture in the Gospels that says Jesus was indignant about anything. And what was he indignant about? He was indignant about people who would keep children away from him. That's What caused that? So why did he get so upset about this? Well, I have a couple of reasons, actually four. Let's talk about those. First of all, Jesus loves children. He wanted everyone in the world to know that children were worthy of his attention. Children are a lot of fun. Anyone who's been around children for any length of time, knows that. We saw just a little bit of that as the children were gathered here with Miss Bethy and heard the story and answered her questions. There was a time, quite a while ago now, that my youngest son, Drew, um, was standing in a line uh, at a hot dog stand with his mom. Now, Drew was very outgoing and very gregarious and never met a stranger. And so there was this guy who stepped around in front of him just to talk to a friend Um, And so Drew looked up at this guy, and he had a shaved head. And Drew stuck out his hand. This guy's really a nice guy. He says, well, hello, sir. How are you doing? And, And Drew just looked at him and said, our family has hair. And he had this great response. He said, well, you know, some people have heads that you need to cover with hair. Other people have really good heads and they don't need hair to cover it. So he had a really good response there. But (laughs) kids are fun. They really are. Second, all children born into this world are created in God's image. They have a place 
in Jesus' love. All they need to do is accept it like that little girl we saw. To reach out their hand, to reach out their heart and accept that. I'll read again from Storybook Bible. She says this, Because God's love is a gift, and as anyone will tell you, the whole thing about a gift is that it's free. All you have to do is reach out your hands and take it. Third reason that Jesus was indignant is that the disciples missed the whole point of their earlier conversation. That in order to enter the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, you have to become like a child. And even more than that, then, becoming childlike is essential to our relationship with God. Matthew said, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So... What are some of those reasons that this would be the case? Well, I got a few of those too for you. First is trusting. You see that little baby? That's my granddaughter. And the hands under her head are our sons. And you look at that face. She's completely at ease. She's staring up at his face with a little smile. That's trust. You see, children naturally trust those who care for them unless that caretaker does something to destroy that trust. And it takes a lot. Secondly, children are powerless. And that was part of the problem that the disciples encountered. These people have no power. Let's work on the people who do. But being powerless is the first step in any Recovery program, recognizing that you're powerless. But more than that, it is the truth about who we are before God. We are powerless to make ourselves right before God. And that's why Christ had to come to take care of that powerlessness in a way that took off all the things that kept us, that keep us from God and opened the door to heaven. And so in our powerlessness, we can walk into God's kingdom in our hearts and eventually with our bodies. Third, they loved stories. Kids love stories. I have not met a kid who doesn't. I love reading to my grandkids and to my kids when they were little. Um, And here's the deal. God's major form of communication to us is story. So if we want to really get to know God, We need to be able to get into the story. We need to be able to suck it up and to find the riches of it and to let it capture our hearts because God is telling us something about himself and all the stories that are in scripture. (laughs) And to do that, you need a rich imagination and kids have that. Little Emma Grace is now about seven and you come into their living space, which is actually on a boat. They live on a boat. Uh, And she has papers everywhere and scissors and tape and all this kind of stuff going on all the time. And she's really actually gotten pretty good drawing at things. She loves that. She has a very rich imagination. And then kids are in 
acquisitive and creative, as I just mentioned. Everything is new and fresh. There are so many ways to explore things. The possibilities are endless. And last, kids are accepting. Accepting. (laughs) They believe what they're told. Usually without asking any questions. In fact, they can sometimes be downright gullible because they're so easily convinced by someone they trust. Otherwise, how could our society convince a lot of people that Christmas is about Santa Claus, right? (laughs) But you see, it's the simple, it's the unguardedness that they have toward those who are in authority over them. That's the kind of invitation that God gives us. Will you come to me with your guard down? Because I love you. I want the best for you. I want to open up the doors of my kingdom to you and let you stay there forever. I will be your God and you will be my people. So, let me encourage you today to ask the Holy Spirit to reactivate your inner child. He is in there, she is in there. And sometimes we lose track of that as we go older and things come and hit us and hurt us. But, but just ask him to reactivate that. So let's take a few moments for you to do just that right now. Ask God to reactivate the child who lives in you. Well, I want to conclude with the end of the story from the earlier uh, segment that we had. And this is what it says. Or, would you have done just what the children did? Run straight up to Jesus and let him pick you up in his arms and swing you and kiss you and hug you and then sit you on his lap and listen to your stories and your chats? You see, children loved Jesus. They knew that they didn't need to do anything special for Jesus to love them. All they needed to do was to run into his arms And so that's just what they did. Well, after laughing and games, Jesus turned to his helpers and he said, No matter how big you grow, never grow up so much that you lose your child's heart, full of trust in God. Be like these children. They are the most important in my kingdom. Let's pray. God, our Father, thank you that you give us such a wide open invitation into you to discover more of who you are and to enjoy the joys that you offer. But most of all, to know you, the author of joy and life and hope and an eternal connection in this beautiful place where everything is good. We pray that you would grab our hearts this day and lead us forward into your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.